What is up, everyone? Welcome to my podcast, Legit Cool, my podcast where I review, analyze, and critique movies and occasionally TV series. And as you know, after clicking on this episode, I am continuing my run of the Hawkeye show, which is part of the greater Marvel Cinematic Universe, Phase 4. It's currently streaming on Disney+, and I am super excited to be talking about Episode 4, which dropped last night as of today's recording, the 9th of December. Each week, Disney Plus releases a brand new episode on Wednesdays, and there are only two episodes left to finish off season one. And God damn, we have a lot to cover. Everything from jam-packed stories to brand new stories introduced into this very small TV series, overlapping character arcs, and hyperbolic theories and speculations. I'm going to be covering all of it right here on the Cool. But before I get started, I just want to give you a quick friendly reminder to tap the notifications button so you know when the next Legit Cool episode drops. Let's get into it. Cue the music. My name is River Villy, and thank you so much for jumping in on my podcast. I really appreciate it. Man, this, this series is turning out to be something that I never, ever expected. And I did mention this in my first episode review. I wasn't expecting Marvel to be going down this route of jam-packing and surprising us with a bunch of stories and characters that we never saw coming. Well, there is a character that gets introduced at the end of this episode that we knew was coming wasn't a hundred percent confirmed that she was going to be a part of this series but you, you kind of knew that this was going to be the case but man my studios are going super crazy they slap so hard with this episode they do so much and yet it really doesn't feel like they're suffocating the viewers or the audience under their own weight of storytelling um they really took their time they paced it perfectly they introduce a new character, they introduce new stories, they... It's just, it's full. It's its chock-a-block. It's super, super full. But let's just do a quick recap on the series before we get into this episode. So, Clint Barton has come out of retirement to fix the wrongs of his past and bury his vengeful alter-ego, Ronan, for good before it catches up to him and put his family in danger. Clint then crosses paths with Kate Bishop, who stole the Ronin suit to fight criminals despite the growing consequences that could lead to her death, which Clint forewarns her about. Naturally, they grow a partnership to detach Kate's name from Ronin and bury Ronin forever. We finish off episode three with both Kate and Clint on their mission to uncover more evidence on Jack Duque by hacking into her mom's security database at her house. Clint walks along the hallway, suspecting someone is close by, only to discover Jack, who is holding the Ronin sword, up to his throat with the words, Don't move. On to episode four. I don't actually think he says don't move. He probably says something like, stay right there. <laughs> I think I just made up that quote. But nonetheless, you know, we get into episode four and this is actually a direct continuation from episode three like it's literally a transition from episode three into episode four i love it because the previous episode didn't do it that way they gave us a bit of a flashback um did they give us that was it the flashback on to echo yeah i think it was um so they jumped back in time in the previous episode whereas in this one it's they continued directly off of the bat actually they did that with episode one and two uh, anyway, I digress. So they open up episode four by continuing that shot from episode three, and it, it actually just get, goes in a direction I didn't I didn't ex expect at all. This whole time we're thinking that Jack Duque is this mustache twilling villain that is clearly going to be the main villain, if not one of the villains, perhaps. You know, we're all suspecting that there's this uncle that they keep mentioning throughout the series is uh he's the person at the top of the chain at the head of the tracksuit mafia and the most popular theory is that it's probably kingpin um but you know we'll, we'll talk a bit more about that later in the episode but 
I was surprised that they started this episode by kind of subverting the expectation of Jack Duque not actually continuing to hold the sword on his throat. Um, Kate, Kate Bishop's mom walks out into the frame and, and sort of says, what the hell is going on? And only to see that there's an Avenger standing in her house and she's kind of perplexed and super surprised by it. And uh, I love Vera Farmiga's reaction. She's just so good at acting. <laughs> Definitely one of the best actresses in uh, working today. Um, she has a funny, perplexed reaction to it. And she's kind of like, oh, really? An Avenger in my house? And then Jack kind of, to his surprise, as it's confirmed by uh, Vera Farmiga's character, He's like, oh yeah, oh my gosh, you're Archer. <laughs> and <laughs> he seems to have this kind of uh, sieve of a mind or sieve of a memory where he doesn't really know the correct words, but he's super confident on the incorrect words he's using. And that that's better expressed when he's trying to think of um, popular phrases or what do they call them? Um, a phrases, a phrase, no. So you, you don't talk about sort of catchphrases. Like he tries to catchphrase uh, a famous Forrest Gump line, um, but he's not even attempting to paraphrase it. He's just changing the phrase itself. And anyway, so he's he's confident to say that oh, you're Archer, but really his name is Clint Barton. And and um, the mom says no, that that's Hawkeye. Oh no, actually, um, Kate Bishop says, yeah, it's Hawkeye. And he's like, oh, you can call me, Clint's like, you can call me Clint Barton. And so uh, that that's kind of the subvert of the expectation. I just thought that it was going to continue to be this super tight conflict and this heated conflict between Jack Duque and Clint Barton. But then it wasn't. It was just like, oh, it's a realization that this guy is an Avenger. He's a good guy. Let's take him into the lounge. Let's take him into the lounge and... Um, have a cup of coffee or have some tea and that's literally what they do i love it i, I, I really really love it they 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 set up what the rest of the episode is, eventually pans out to be which is um a bunch of conversations between characters that are very important to the whole story very important to the whole show that's a way of showing that uh there's there's a chemistry within these characters that become so valuable that eventually when conflict comes their way or conflict is wedged between their relationships, their relationships therefore become problematic and the tension grows bigger and the stakes rise. So um, it was such a great foreshadowing of how Hawkeye and Kate Bishop um, start to connect closer and, and get a strong bond with each other when they're back in the apartment. So they kind of foreshadowed that with this intro on the episode and I loved it. I was like, oh, this is, this is, this is great. I want more of this. And sure enough, they give us a lot more of it. So like in this intro scene, what we find out is there is, there's something going on with mom Bishop. Uh, there is something very very sus that is going on with her and then it, it's a big it's a big drop when she says goodbye or just walks um Clint Barton outside of the apartment um says goodbye to him and she walks into the lounge jumps on the phone and says um hey this is blah 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 Bishop what is what is even her real name um in the series I should know this already Eleanor Bishop she said hi this is Eleanor can you please call me back it's very urgent that was enough to send <laughs> send all the uh, nerds, all the sweaty MCU nerds like myself, um, into the abyss of theories. Right? You're like, oh, they're they're progressing more on her storyline. They're progressing more on her, perhaps being a villain or an anti-hero or some kind of a figure, some kind of player that is to do with whatever's happening with the tracksuit mafia, whatever is happening with Jack Duquet and his company called Sloan. Um, she's she's doing something really fishy and we don't really know what that is. And of course, we can throw a bunch of theories out there and we're going to tap into some of the theories in a bit. But that's how this whole scene sets up the tone, sets up the stories that are going to compile on top of each other. In throughout this 41 second 41 second 41 minute episode it's actually super short super short i was 
The only thing that I'm super angry about this episode is the fact that it was so short. By the time we get to the end of it, I'm like, ah, we've only seen five minutes of this. <laughs> it's it's kind of crazy. I was like super upset that they finished it on that note. I mean, they finished it well. It's a very tight, it's a very, very tight episode. And I love it. Love everything they do. But that's my only criticism. That it was way too short. And I'm a little bit fearful on how they're going to deal with episode five and six. That the last two episodes... There are so many stories that they're yet to develop. They're yet to unfold, peel back all the layers. So I'm kind of a little bit scared. I'm like, oh, two episodes, and we still don't really know anything about about these characters or anything like that. Um, my phone's ringing. My bad. Um, we we don't. It's not like we don't know anything about the characters, but it, we haven't. They've introduced so much on the character arcs. They've introduced so much on the stories, and. I just want to quickly mention the amount of stories that we have been introduced to so far before they add three other stories to the whole arsenal, <laughs> the whole show. Um, so those, those stories are the Ronan story, like I mentioned in the in the quick recap, the Kate story, the Tracksuit Mafia story, the Maya Lopez story, the Jack Duque story, and then they added the Laura Barton story, the Black Widow aka Yelena story, which is a character that we meet later in the show. And then also the Mom Bishop story too. There's, I don't think there's any other stories there. And and if there are any other stories there, they're probably like so minor that it doesn't matter so much that we don't get to learn a lot about them. Because I do believe that all these eight stories that I mentioned are the ones that are, that are valuable for each other. They contribute to each other and they're growing to help perhaps set up the other series that that Marvel Studios are going to be doing, but also set up some character arcs and and future movies or, yeah, of course, Disney Plus series as well. We're not really sure how they're going to do that, but um, for now, these are the stories they've introduced. It's a lot. And like I said before, I don't feel like I'm suffering, like suffocating under the weight of the stories. It's pretty damn epic. Um, super, super happy about this episode. So we, you know, we get into this, um, we get into the scene where after, after the whole introduction scene, we get into a phone call conversation between Clint and Laura. This conversation is super important. Super, super important. I had to actually go back and rewatch the episode and really focus in on the conversation and, and what are some, what are some like hints what are some easter eggs or like i was really analyzing this conversation i went back and forth back and forth and and there's a few things that i picked up in here so one laura is definitely a bigger player than than what we've come to believe of her she's definitely more than just the mom the mom that takes care of the family at home she's like the same home classic mom and she does a good job of it and and we definitely learn that she is far more than just a mom, just from this conversation she has. Um, I'm sort of led to believe that she is a spy. She, she is a uh, retired assassin or something. It might explain why Clint or why and how Clint Barton uh, got to meet Laura one day. Uh, perhaps they were both assassins working on missions that were crossing each other or clashing with each other who knows we, we don't know anything about her background and uh, the one thing that i actually mentioned to a friend of mine i said you know what like every time we see laura bishop we never actually see her off of the farm every time we see her in mcu content we only ever see her on the farm and then that point becomes more relevant when I look back at episode one. I, I think I mentioned this in my in my review as well. I thought it was really, really super strange that Laura, Laura Barton is not with them on vacation in New York. Why is she still at the farm? They don't explain that. They don't even attempt to explain why she isn't at the farm through the conversations they're having on the phone. So I'm like, that's super weird. Why Why is the Barton family on holiday in New York and and she's still in upstate New York on their farm? Like, why? <laughs> and they just have this chat over the phone on episode one. I'm like, that's just super weird. Anyway, and I knew I was going to revisit that at some point. And now here we are. Episode four, 
we're revealed more uh, where we get to be revealed get to be what am i trying to say i'm not even making sense um we get a big reveal of laura's character there are some layers that we need to peel back and those layers are suspecting to be she's a pretty important character she probably has an alter ego or did have an alter ego um she's either likely to be a spy just because of the evidence that we've presented that we've presented so far and this is also like uh a call back to some of the moments that we meet laura in primarily uh avengers age of ultron there's when we meet Barton's family for the first time when they go to the farm because Barton decided that he wanted to retire uh they go to they go to Barton's farm we meet laura and the family and there's there's kind of an offhand comment that tony makes he's like he he says it as i guess he says a as a joke more so than anything like he's being a little bit facetious about it he says uh no she's definitely a spy definitely an agent definitely a spy and like i i never made anything about that right like i i didn't even take it as a grain of salt it was just kind of a passing comment that tony made when they're at the farm but then now we're at the hawkeye series and we're getting more revelations about her character i'm like huh going back to that scene where tony says oh this like she's a spy she's an agent um or a former spy or something I'm like oh, this is probably true this is probably true um and, and and just in that whole barn sequence uh, that whole farm sequence in age of ultron um i think clint mentions something along the lines of uh i oh yeah he does he does he says that um i've used i've got agents of shield to remove our records meaning our family records off of their records off of the agents of shield because agents of shield is is uh agents of shield what am i talking about <laughs> um shield shield itself the shield organization is uh you know they're the most secretive agency in the world they hired them put together the avengers right so clint button has asked and got his 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 uh, request granted by nick fury to remove the family records from shield now the question now the question remains as why was it important for him to remove the family records off of shield now of course you could think oh it's because clint barton is a spy yeah sure he's a spy and he doesn't want to have his records attached to his family sure but i think it goes deeper than that i think it goes deeper towards what we can only identify now years and years later in the hawkeye series that i think it's going back to her being an agent or being a secret spy um being some kind of assassin maybe she was a part of the red program the black widows which i don't think she's she if she is a spy i don't think she was a part of the black widow um uh black widow team or organization whatever the red room i don't think she was a part of that because they can't have babies you know they were all clipped um as girls i mean of course she could probably adopt a family that's true but i don't think she was a part of that red room program she'd be a very very different person today if that was the case and i think she wouldn't be able to escape the whole blackwater program unless she was a part of shield which makes me think which leads me to my next theory about her character i think she might have been an agent of shield or at least been a part of an organization that was working for shield and clint and laura have been trying to hide this secret identity for a very very long time um and we're only sort of fed that information when she asks about the watch now there's a lot to say about this watch and everybody's theorizing all over the internet who is the owner of this watch we keep we we keep coming back to this watch that's been sprinkled throughout the episodes because because one person stole it and then now another person's got it and and the the show is definitely trying to say something about this watch somebody really wants it and and now after the conversation between Clint and Laura um they know how valuable or they they see how valuable this watch is because Laura mentions it in the conversation and then he says something like I thought that watch was destroyed a long time ago and then Laura responds by saying um I thought the same way I thought the same thing about your problematic suit the Ronin suit but yet here we are 
And then so he's he's unsure if the watch actually exists, but we know as viewers, we know it exists because we've seen it throughout the last three, a few episodes. Uh, he just hasn't seen it. And so he instructs her to turn the transmitter on to see if you can track it down. And sure enough, she can track it down. Now this is more revelations about who she potentially is. She knows, she knows about this watch and it seems to be of high value to her. She has a transmitter to track it. So she knows what this watch is capable of revealing. And it's not until the end of the episode or at least in the last scene of the episode that uh, Clint says, if the watch gets into the wrong hands, if the tracksuit mafia find out about it, I'm afraid that the person that owns this watch is going to have their identity revealed and then game over. So I'm like, oh, this is, <laughs> uh, that's a lot. It, it, it's a lot to think about. It's a lot to theorize. And and I was sifting through different pages on the internet to see what popular theories people have out there. And, and for the most part, people are saying that this is probably Tony Stark's watch. This is probably Kingpin's watch, or it could be Nick Fury's. I think those are the three main popular working theories for this um, uh, for this watch, or who owns this watch, or who has, or who knows what's um, what this watch is capable of doing, whatever it is, right? But I'm willing to say, like, I've tried to think about who I think actually owns this watch and what it's going to unlock, but we actually know it's someone's identity. I'm I'm willing to say that it's Laura. It's Laura Barton, and she's probably trying to bury her past or being this assassin. And this assassin's probably a, a character called um, Mockingbird, who's a spy in the comics. So you know that 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 starts to get into the very deep lore of the comics themselves. And I don't want to jump into that because we'll be here forever, and this episode will be way longer than it should be but it's 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 possible that the identity that she's trying to hide is the mockingbird character yeah so i'm just gonna i'm gonna die on the hill and say that it is laura and she's the one that we're going to that is going to be revealed as this very important character or maybe it's not about having an importance for a character or having an important character sorry i should say maybe it's more about the hiding of the identity, hiding of her alter ego. I think it's more so that than anything. So anyway, we, we passed that and I'm sure we're going to talk more about that watch eventually <coughs> in future episodes. But um, where we, we go from that, that point and we jump straight into what I think is my favorite part of the episode. And, and that is when um clint barton is back at the apartment or the apartment that is owned by kate's auntie um moira moira something can't remember her last name uh we, we jump into that moment and he's back at the apartment and he's he's trying to recover a little bit so he, he opens the fridge the freezer door gets out all the big freezer packets like i think it's like a bunch of slushy frozen packets or something like that i don't even know what it is um he gets a bunch of packets and he wraps it around the heavily bruised areas um i just love that because this is this is a great way of showing that this guy's human he has massive limitations and he can hurt just like you and i um and he's not exactly getting younger he's his his body is getting worn down and and remember he's he's been wanting to stay in retirement he got he got into retirement got out of the whole game a long time ago back in age of ultron and this is all he wanted for his family all he wanted was just was just uh to get back to his family and just be a family man and leave this whole spy assassination game um and also being a part of the avengers so i just love the fact that we we have a little bit of a moment with clint how he's wrapping the bruises and the aches that he has with a bunch of frozen packets from the from the freezer and then kate walks into the apartment says hey you need some company i brought pizza and i brought some movies um so we can have movie night this is a call back to um how in the, i think it's a previous episode where clint promises uh his son or at least he says i'm sorry that i can't be home for movie night 
And so there's a little bit of a callback to that because Kate's very sensitive. She's very, she's very in tune and very aware uh, with what is going on with Clint and the kind of things that he has to sacrifice right now in order for him to um, help out Kate. So I love that she's she's sensitive to that and she makes an attempt to connect more with 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 Clint by bringing some movies to do movie night together. I think that's so so cool. So they they establish that and then they get into this whole scene together. I'm pretty sure this whole scene is like I don't know. It's it's almost uh, from here. It's almost about six minutes long. Oh, actually longer, but yeah, it's it's probably like six to eight minutes long that we get to spend time with Kate and Clint bonding together. And there's a bunch of different exercises they do to bond together. One, obviously trying to figure out the next part of their investigation. And two, they, um, well, he, he starts to teach her how to improve her accuracy with her arrows by showing her this quick uh, coin trick. That's really cool. And then they get into um, watching movies together on the couch and the movie that's actually playing in the background um, here's, a, here's a little bit of a fun Easter egg is that the movie that's playing in the background is A Beautiful Life, I think it is, or A Wonderful Life. And I think it's like the end of that that movie where he's wanting to go back to his family. Um, and it's such a sensitive moment for Clint because that's exactly what he's trying to do. Um, he's trying to get back to his family. Um, and especially in time for Christmas. So it's, it's such a cool it's such a cool dynamic to see them bonding this way it's not um it's not cheesy it's not corny it's not on the nose it's everything that you want it to be and they get along so well but they also don't get along so well it kind of that's kind of why the relationship is so special between these two and then the moment that gets me so much in this episode and they also do this moment later on uh at the end of the episode um, you know the moment I'm talking about. That moment is when he's um, he's getting flashbacks. He's thinking about his memory with Natasha Romanoff, Black Widow. Um, that comes in the form of her asking him, um, asking him, "What was your best shot you ever took?" And oh man, the, the way the the way the script is written here, it's so perfect. It is powerful. It is very very powerful. You know the lines go. Kate says, what was the best shot you ever took? And then he responds by saying, the shot that I never took is the best shot that I I should have taken. <laughs> or something like that. You know, he's trying to say that the shot that he never took um, was his best shot. Oh, wait, does, does he actually say... Hold on, I have to go back to that. I'm just kind of skipping through this episode. But... Um, yeah, it's yeah. Ba basically, what they're trying to allude to is um, he he wanted to take a shot that he never took, and that shot what that shot that he was referring to was an end game. Um, he really wanted to take down Natasha so he could sacrifice his life. Um, that's such a that's such an emotional callback. And it's only obviously really relevant to people that have followed the MCU all this way, have been on the journey with, with Clint and Natasha and seen what the demise was in Endgame. And this moment is just so damn special. They, they Bert and Annie done, Bert and Bertie done a great job at just slowing down this episode, getting to this moment, you know, after, after the fun parts of this character building moment where where they're doing the Christmas tree together, they're trying to figure out um, evidence for um, the next uh, next part of their investigation. He teaches her how to uh, fling a coin, um, and then they slow it right down without rushing it. They slow it right down and bring it to this moment. Um, it's, just, it's so powerful. It's it's so there's so much volume in this emotion that they didn't have to use a lot of words they didn't have to use a lot of expositional dialogue to describe what's really happening in the scene it's just perfect direction it's perfect performances and 
oh, it's it's heart wrenching. <laughs> it's so good. And then and then they get to sort of the meat of um, <clears throat> the the meat of the mystery for Kate and this character Ronan, and that is the mystery of of discovering that well, Clint, I think you're Ronan, and then she mentions that like you you don't want to. Um, you don't want to do something with Ronan or something along those lines, and he's and then she says, um, "That's because you are Ronan." And then he responds by saying, "We all dealt with the blip in our own ways," which was super interesting. I thought he was gonna go out of his way and say, "I just, I just lost it," or you know, go on this kind of apologetic rant about how he lost it and he lost his identity, he lost his family. But not like he actually just was really short about it and says, um, we all dealt with the blip in a different way. That was pretty key. And um, yeah, I wasn't expecting him to respond that way. But it's such, it's such a special moment. They, they, they go on and talk more about um, the dangers, I suppose, the dangers of this job and the sacrifices that you make. There's a really cool line that he says in this moment and that line is um this game that this heroic game this this game of heroism is about the management of losses or something like that or managing losses it's a game of managing losses is what he says that's that's powerful that's huge very very deep and then the scene slows down to kate goes off and goes to bed says goodnight to clint and the camera does a slow zoom in, like sort of a track. It's not really like a lens zoom in, but I think it's like a track zoom in. A really slow zoom in. He takes off the earpiece, um, his hearing aid, so that it's all completely silent to him. And he just gets flashbacks after flashback of his life as Ronan, his his last moment with Natasha Romoff, and then it just fades. Ah. Oh! That's such a good scene. That's probably why it's my favorite scene out of the whole episode. <laughs> and then we get we, we get a, a nighttime to daytime transition, and then we get on with the rest of the episode. We start to we start to move the story a bit more. They continue on the investigation, and they have to find a few different things to propel the story forward. So this is it, all of these beats are really cool. Um, all these little sort of segments on. Propelling the story. They're all really, really cool, really relevant. Um, I like the little interaction that he has with Kazi in the car. It's a great kind of uh, power play <laughs> scene that he has with Kazi. Um, to, it's, I, I guess it's really just showing the, the power and the confidence of Clint. Like he's, he's a, Clint is an experienced assassin. He's an experienced Avenger. He fought and an end game so you really see that come into fruition when he's having these moments against these other kind of low life not low life but low level threat characters it's just so great like the power play in that scene where he's sitting at the back in the car and he's at the front that's actually some some very smart filming techniques um there's there's you know when you, when you have characters in front or in, or behind each other or whatever they're staggered that way and the camera's um focused on the the front facing shot so you can see there's a character in closest to the lens and this character behind it's it's trying to tell us something there's trying to tell us something about the the dynamics of the characters um so that's some really smart ways of filming um so i just i just love how that whole scene unfolds and kazi's kind of like shit well i i kind of have to make a choice I have to make a choice here of whether I listen to Clint Barton and do something about this whole thing with um, his cousin Maya Lopez, who is the niece of this um, disembodied uncle that seems like a threat at the top of the tracksuit mafia. Um, either he does something about that or he just completely rebels and and knocks on Clint Barton or whatever. Um, the story moves on and and we get reintroduced back to the LARPers. <laughs> the LARPers were actually pretty fun in the previous episodes. Um, really, really fun characters, side characters that make the 
the show a bit more colorful and a bit more exciting. Um, I like the fact that the Lapas came back and made an appearance here. And there are some there are some Marvel characters in the Lapas too. But I don't know much about these Marvel characters. And I'm talking about the Marvel comic characters, like Bombshell and I can't remember the other Marvel character that they also mentioned here. That's part of this whole LARPA community. Um, they do mention that, so maybe that's just their way of introducing potential characters for future uh, future shows. I don't know what that is, but um, more importantly, they move from these these parts of um, these parts of the story, and they get straight into the final act of the of, the, of this episode, and that is when they're on the rooftop. They're looking for this watch because they need to track down this watch to make sure that whoever owns this watch keeps their identity and it doesn't get uncovered or leaked to the tracksuit mafia. Because if it does, then it's like what Clint says, it's game over. It's, I don't yeah, he says something like that, it's game over. Um, this whole scene, it is such a well choreographed scene. Like the, the fight choreography is amazing really really amazing whoever's the stunt double for yelena did an ace job um probably some of the best uh acrobatic fighting chore fight choreography we've seen in some of the marvel um in some of the marvel uh mcu movies and tv series which isn't too hard to compare against because there isn't a lot of let's say hand-to-hand -hand combat fight choreography that happens in mcu uh, you know, most of the action sequences and the choreography happens in the form of like very OP characters like Thor and Hulk and um, I guess Iron Man as well, but he's got a suit, which is uh, a massive technological weapon. So there isn't really a lot of hand-to-hand -hand combat like in Shang-Chi, that's the first time we've seen martial arts and hand-to-hand -hand combat. And it's actually good. And I really do like and appreciate the fight choreography in Shang-Chi. Wasn't my favorite though. Um, I, I just think that the camera work in that movie wasn't great for the fight choreography, but whatever. Maybe a lot of you guys are screaming at the moment and hearing my <laughs> my critique on on that front. But anyway, I digress. Uh, coming back to this episode, the the hand to hand combat and the fight choreography is just incredible, and it's so well shot. The only downside is that it's super dark. They didn't light the scene very well, and yes, I know it's at night. But they they could have done better with the lighting situation they could have graded the the colors a bit better i don't know it just maybe it was my monitor too i don't i don't know <laughs> it just was it was too dark and it wasn't lit enough in my opinion so um you know within the scene we we have kate bishop who's super confident in getting herself into the apartment it's great because she's on one hand, she's rebelling what her mentor is doing, you know, Clint Barton, uh, what he's instructing her to do. And on the other hand, she's she's just showing us that she is foreshadowing her confidence and her ability to just go in and get the job done in the way that she knows and the way that she plans. I love that. But she still takes guidance from Clint while she's in the apartment. So there's there's a good sort of back and forth between her just making her own decisions and also her taking on the advice of clint another great way to fully express that relationship that they have so she finds the watch um she doesn't actually know that this apartment is echo's apartment and it explains that explains the flashing lights that are in the corner those flashing lights are i think uh the security protocol or security measures that deaf people have so that when somebody enters the apartment those lights flash and that's why she uses the plato arrows to to blot them out which is pretty funny so she comes head to head with echo uh they have this pretty cool brawl and it's it's so great because because kate bishop she's not a fighter and she doesn't know how to fight and she's super clumsy and she's getting completely owned by echo because echo is way more experienced like she's got fighting experience and whatnot um but she also probably has more experience in that in this whole world like sort of the criminal underworld underground world so kate just like bounces uh out of the apartment kent clint um uses one of his uh trick arrows or just some kind of like high beam to to connect 
the apartment to the apartment that he is across the road while he's guiding her. She jumps onto it, uses it as a flying fox. And I just, I love this moment where she uses her bow and arrow to jump on this wire. She goes onto it, she's sliding down, then halfway through she stops because there isn't enough elevation um, to have a good decline in the wire. So she gets stuck halfway through. I love that moment because it's just a great way of saying, hey, like these guys, this is, this is a very real world. This is a very like real environment and things like these happen these imperfections happen and so i like how they show that here in this episode particularly they also done that um they also done a little bit of that in the scene with the lapa that goes into the apartment um she's oh like I've, I've got the bag full of your arrows and then he goes <laughs> and he says thank you and he grabs he goes to grab that the bag and she's like this is my bag did you bring your own bag? <laughs> and he's like, well, no, <laughs> I didn't bring my own bag. It's like, well, you can't take my bag because this is my bag. I love it because because we know that these kind of things happen in our own real lives. You know, if we're if we're wanting to buy, like lend something to a friend, and you bring it in your own bag, you say, hey, can you just take it without my bag because this is my bag? <laughs> I just love that they uh, they highlighted these kind of imperfections. It's it's great. And they do that obviously with. Um, Kate here as well. So then Kate gets to the roof and then finds out that he's getting beaten up by uh, some other random mysterious person who jumps on the roof and has this fight with Clint Button. And just through the choreography and stuff and also just from what I know about about this mysterious character because we see her we see what happens at the end of Black Widow. So spoiler spoiler alert for Black Widow if you haven't seen it. Yelena, the sister of Natasha Romanoff, um, she meets Valentina, who is... Valentina Fontaine is the leader of a group called the Thunderbolts inside the Marvel Comics. In the MCU, we don't know what she's the leader of yet. We know that she's she's doing, she's doing stuff. She's hiring people to do certain missions, and she's... Yeah, she's recruiting a whole bunch of people. She does a bit of that recruitment in Falcon and Winter Soldier as well. But then we see her at the end of Black Widow, and the end credit scene the stinger and she recruits yelena to do a job and that job is to go and find the person responsible for your sister's death aka clint barton and so this mysterious this mysterious figure shows up on the roof and i'm thinking straight away oh yeah this is yelena and i knew that she was going to jump in the episode at some point um and sure enough like Clint goes to remove her mask and it's Yelena. He doesn't... Now, I'm unsure if he, if he actually realizes that it's um, Natasha's sister. Um, we don't know if he knows about Natasha's family and, and, and whatever. We have to only presume certain things just by the evidence that we're given throughout the MCU. But I'm going to go ahead and say that he doesn't recognize the sister because he doesn't know who the family is of Natasha. But he definitely, obviously recognizes the um, the Black Widow bite and noticing that it's it's a Black Widow assassin. And he mentions that at the end of the scene. Um, and the way I like... Uh, the, the thing that I like about this scene and the way they end this episode is that there is a huge, huge weight that gets sunk. It's like an anchor that gets sunk at the end of the scene. And that's in the form of what Clint says to Kate. He says, a Black Widow assassin has been hired and shit just got real. Like, he doesn't say shit, but, but it's, it's practically what he wants to say. He wants to say that things just got really real and I need you to go and I need you to get out of there. And then Kate obviously responds how you would expect her to. She says, no, 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 no. We're, we're here to, let's do this together. We, we're, we're a team, we're partners. And then he, and then Clint's persistent about saying, no, we're not partners. And he's always like kind of said that throughout the episodes, but he, now he's saying this in all seriousness. And it's, it's, so, it's so grim the way he delivers the line. It's so grim and it's so heavy. Uh, and that weight tells us that this is super, super serious. What they're getting themselves into now. Like, this is not just the tracksuit mafia anymore. This is, we're talking about the Black Widow. 
uh, the Black Widow armor. We're talking about the Red Room. We, we, I cannot have you by my side because this shit just got real. Um, and then they end the episode that way. And I was like, oh, oh no, give me more. I need episode five and six right now. <laughs> That's pretty much the whole episode. Actually, the thing that I forgot to mention about this last scene was that that sort of foreshadowing that I spoke about when they're in the apartment and he's getting um, he's getting flashbacks and reminders of uh, the trauma that he has about losing Natasha Romanoff that is foreshadowed to this point in the last scene where Kate falls off the building and he goes to try and save her and the the camera movement here is so subtle but it's so on the money like we know exactly what they attempt to do here and how they actually direct this this whole moment is perfect and that moment that i'm talking about you know what i'm talking about it's that moment in endgame where he loses natasha off the cliff because she has to sacrifice herself and that happens in this in this moment kate's fall she's fallen off the building he goes to try and save her luckily she's been held up by the by the trick arrow wire thing um and the this the moment is done in a way they in a way that they introduce the same musical score that is in endgame as soon as i heard that score i was like no i can't cry in this episode <laughs> It's like I knew exactly what they were doing as soon as she fell off the building. I knew exactly where they're going to go with it, but even though like I expect it, they still landed it. I was like, "Ah, oh, damn!" And he just had a really quick, traumatic, emotional moment there. But then he cuts off the the rope because he sees that she's been saved by the rope, and um, she has a safe landing. And then she ends up just running back up up the, up the apartment building. So yeah, like this, this just there's so many great moments in this. There's like I said, there's great character beats and um, the chemistry between them two is just growing so much that it's so tangible. You can see that this partnership is going to become such a great and fun, lovable partnership, probably for you know, like a, a favorite partnership out of all the other partnerships that exist within the MCU. That's what it's kind of shaping up to be, and I'm loving it. And all the stories they're throwing in, it's it's a lot, yes. I agree, it, it is it is a lot. I'm assuming that everybody is, is saying, yeah, there's a lot of stories. <laughs> there's a lot of stories, but I don't feel like it's too much. I feel like they're taking their time and walking us through the process one step at a time. They're not rushing it at all. But, you know, it's, it is a little bit scary. We've got only two episodes there, five and six question is how long are these episodes going to be if they're not at least an hour each i don't know how much they're going to leave behind how much of the stories uh, how much of these eight stories they're going to leave underdeveloped and maybe just even setting them up if the least they do is they set them up for future uh disney plus shows mcu disney plus shows or future movies that remains to be seen um i don't know it's uh it's, it's really hard to tell I'm hoping that the next two episodes are like an hour, hour and a half long. Or they do the same thing that they did with the Loki series by announcing a season two in the Stinger credits. Um, maybe they do that. Maybe they announce a season two. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to tell. But, I mean, it's like so far I'm just loving the show. It's definitely up there as one of my favorite shows. I still think... And it's probably a little bit too early to tell or too early to say i should say uh loki is still my favorite tv show um for me it goes loki wandavision uh what if and then falcon winter soldier this is you know without thinking about hawkeye but now i'm thinking i'm putting the hawkeye underneath um wandavision Oh, uh, sorry, underneath Loki. But then I kind of want to say that Hawkeye is probably number one. I don't know. I, I think I just have to wait until I watch five and six and come up with a more confident and concrete answer uh, how I rank these TV series back to back. But I, it's it's enough for me. I love it so far. But 
you know, let me just draw this episode to an end. Like, what do you guys think about the episode? What do you guys think about the series? Do you think this series is great? Do you think it's not so great? Um, whatever, whatever side you're on, maybe just uh, mention it in the comments, mention it in my posts when I post it up on Instagram. If you are following me on Instagram, my handle, my handle, <laughs> my Instagram handle is at legit cool podcast. You can also find me on Facebook. You can type in the search bar. Legit cool sometimes movie, oh sorry, legit cool movie reviews sometimes TV series. Um, so you can follow me on there. I'm posting up pretty regularly. Uh, and just a bit of a reminder to those who have been following my series so far, my Hawkeye series. And I think I've even mentioned on the previous episodes. Um, reminder to those and an announcement for those who are new to the show. I am going to be doing a massive... Uh, MCU episode that is a setup or to help prepare you guys for Spider-Man No Way Home. We're going to be recording this episode. It's going to be about two hours long. We're going to be recording this episode on the weekend and we're going to release this episode on the weekend as well. So it gives you a good couple of days to listen, listen to what we have to say about the MCU phase four so far, help prepare you really nicely, really comfortably for Spider-Man No Way Home um so make sure you check that episode out it's definitely going to be a great episode we're going to be super nerdy about everything we're going to talk about all the speculations we're going to talk about all the theories that exist for phase four so far and then we'll touch up on the spider-man no way home pre-review before we actually see it on opening night we're going to the midnight screening for spider-man no way home so that's going to be crazy exciting and uh, i don't think any of us are going to get much sleep um, after the midnight screening, because we're probably only going to be thinking and talking about Spider-Man No Way Home um, until the sun rises the next day. Uh, but with that being said, let me draw this episode to an end. Thank you so much for listening in on my podcast. Don't forget to hit those notos and make sure you continue to follow my show. I really appreciate it. Thank you all and I'll see you in the next episode.